0: We're right
1: on set. Rolling. Action. Action. Hello. Hello. So I'm Sebastian. I'm
0: Caitlin.
1: And today's a really exciting day for all of us because we're finally making this thing happen that we promised a couple episodes ago.
0: Yes. What's going
1: on <laughs> today, Caitlin?
0: We have managed to interview Cordelia O'Neill, who... Uh, wrote and helped produce this play that we saw in London, which is called Anything is Possible, if you think about it hard enough.
1: Yeah, so Cordelia eh, had agreed to meet with us a couple bu- eh, months back, and it's finally happening today. Yeah, I'm so, we're so really excited, excited yeah. to share it
0: with you guys. It was such a great interview and such a great play. I wish all of you could have been there with us and mm-hmm. we watched it, because it was absolutely amazing.
1: But hey, if you listen to the episode all the way through, you might be able to just see it later on in life. Who knows? You'll figure out why. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we'll start this episode by just talking a little bit about the play itself and how it just came to be and how we liked it. So the play itself was about this couple of strangers that just happened to meet on the train and on a cafe and they just started seeing each other over and over and over over the days and and started having a relationship Mm-hmm. Right, and so this relationship obviously became bigger and bigger, and I believe they got married and stuff like that. And eventually, she gets she gets pregnant, mm-hmm. and so with this is where the actual meat of the story starts. Mm-hmm. So if you wanna go ahead and speak about what happens next,
0: yeah. So um. Up until the, I want to say the more climax of the story happens, it's like a really sweet love story between these two people. Um, It's really adorable. And then she becomes pregnant, and we get excited with her. We dream with her. We get excited about the baby. And then we find out that she has a stillbirth. So, yeah, this is, this comes as really a a big shock to the audience because we're really not led to believe that this is going to happen. So when it does, you're in this state of, like, absolute disbelief that that just happened, and you're now, as the audience, sort of hoping and praying that they're going to end up happy again, that they're going to stay with each other, Um, but you see both the good and the bad, you see how they're falling apart, you see how they're trying to cope with it the best way that they can, and how sometimes that doesn't really work, and so, even though at the end they don't end up having another child, you still, at the end, feel the hope that they have, that Mm -hmm. they can still have the life that they want with each other and even if a child is not in the cards now that they're still going to stay together that, that that love for each other is still there and I felt like that was still an amazing ending really even if they didn't have the child that they always wanted at the end
1: oh definitely yeah I feel like the story just in general is just great and really moving overall mm-hmm. and there's these uh, moments in a story in which the characters are looking at you and you think that they're talking to you, but they're actually talking to their unborn baby. Mm-hmm. And it's just so hard. Because at yeah. the beginning, they're still doing it before anything with the baby happens. They're mm-hmm. still, like, talking what, looking at you. So at this point, you don't know what's happening. You
0: believe it's just, like, a simple narration. Yeah. yeah.
1: But then they keep on doing it mm-hmm. until they finally mention their name. His name, Teddy. Mm-hmm. And then you realize all throughout this story they've been talking to their unborn baby and it just connects with you how impactful this moment is
0: yeah definitely it was so moving and it really helped that it was actually a very small theater
1: mm-hmm.
0: um so you you were like right up there with the actors it wasn't like you were really separated from the story or from the set pieces so it was, Super moving, absolutely amazing. I was getting teary-eyed. I never even had children, and I felt like yeah. so connected to the story. Um, I'm sure anybody that has had children or has also gone through a stillbirth that they would also appreciate and absolutely love this story because it was really amazing.
1: Definitely. Enough. With no further ado, eh, how what qualification do you give this story? Five
0: out of five. Definitely five absolutely. out of five absolutely would see
1: it again. Yeah, so 5 out could. of 5 clapping boards mm-hmm. for anything is possible you think about enough. Mm-hmm. I mean... <laughs> anything
0: is possible if you, <laughs> you think about, about it hard, it
1: hard enough. Enough. <laughs> about enough. About enough. Yeah, it. no, great story. Uh, and now uh, we'll be introducing Cordelia O'Neill. Yes! She got nominated for Anything is Possible just this past year uh, for Best Off-Broadway... No, that, I correct myself. Best Off-West End play... And yeah, uh, with you guys, Cordelia O'Neill. Woo! Hi, how are you doing today?
2: Yeah, I'm really good. I'm really good, thank you. How are you guys?
1: Doing really good, yeah. I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. Okay. It's really exciting uh, to have you here with us.
2: No, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to do this. I've never done a podcast before. My name is Cordelia O'Neill um, and I'm a playwright and I live in London.
1: Awesome. So uh, we saw one of Cordelia's plays uh, while we were in London mm-hmm. last semester. And it was called Anything is Possible that You Think About It Hard Enough. And, and we we're really interested because Cordelia actually came over to our school, FSU in London, and gave a little uh, panel for us discussing the play and what it is to be a player in London in general. Uh, So Cordelia, what brought you to the theatre industry?
2: Um, So uh, my uncle was an actor and a director. Um, And I grew up with him and with, you know, discussions of the theatre and um, all my life. And And then he sadly died when he was 27. Um, and then from his death uh, a group of his friends set up a trust called the JMK Trust um, which is this amazing trust and it's been running for 20 years and every year they uh, go through process and and there's a winner a a young director who wins the award and then puts on a play at a London theatre so after he died I then grew up um, seeing all those plays and um, meeting all the winners and um, uh, being around all the fundraising around the trust and so uh, it just sort of was a given that I would just sort of sidestep into, into theatre uh, I, I didn't really know what else to do um, and I very much when I got to sort of the ages of 15-16 which I would not recommend um, decided to just work at theater and not do anything else at school so um (laughs) um I yes when I left school the the only option was drama school and I got in and and then I've been sort of uh plowing away ever since
1: well it seems like it worked out pretty well
2: yeah (laughs) well yeah I mean I graduated from drama school in 2011 um so it's um it's a long long journey and uh you know every year you think you're getting a little bit further you're getting a little bit further and then every year you think I'm just further away I'm furthering away so it's um it's very hard to realize what it is that you've achieved uh, over such a long process and because you know you guys will know this but working in a theater it's not your only job you have loads of other jobs that Mm -hmm. um you know provide money and (laughs) um and keep you going and keep your sanity going so sometimes it's like great I've done really well and sometimes you can feel like you haven't you haven't achieved enough and so it's a practice to 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 recognize what it is that you've done and where and how far you've come even if it has taken you from like 2011 to 2022 to start like you know doing podcasts um yeah uh, but yeah no it's been a really long journey but I've learned loads and um I love the theater it's a really amazing world and industry to be a part of
1: For sure, I imagine it's really difficult. Uh, I mean, we will know this because we're filmmaking students right now. Uh, Just like trying Mm. to have a stable economic situation going on. uh, It's probably really difficult Mm -hmm. as a playwright as well. I understand you started as an actress.
2: Yeah, I went to uh, the Oxford School of Drama and um, uh, trained there for three years and then, um, yeah, moved to London and probably acted in London for, uh, you know, about five or six years. Um, uh, And it's really hard, it's really hard. I was talking to a friend the other day and and she was like, yeah, I apply for auditions all the time. We have something in London called Spotlight. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you apply for auditions on Spotlight. And I just remember, you know, just sat at temp jobs, just applying to Spotlight over and over and and over and over and over and over again. And, and my friend, she was describing doing that. And I just thought, thank God, I don't have to do that. Thank God, I decided not to do that. again <laughs> Because it's, mm-hmm. it, it really like destroyed me. It's, you know, as an actor, you have very little control. Uh, you've got to be incredibly vulnerable to be able to be open to endless different scripts and projects and shows. And that vulnerability is quite hard to protect when you're putting yourself out there every week and getting rejections. So. Um, uh, there's few people that can sort of master that and handle that. And I really mm-hmm. take my hat off to them because I really found that playwriting, um, I, I have more control over what I did and who I worked with and the stories that I told. Um, and I found that more fulfilling. Um, but, you know, I watched the actors, Hugh and Gemma, who did anything as possible in rehearsal. And I was just like blown away by what actors do. Uh, you just you just got to kind of like, mm-hmm. um, you know, just be so vulnerable and so um, open and just brush off, you know, direction and brush off ideas that don't work and then just get stuck in. And it's it's an incredible skill and it's an incredible quality for a human to have With as humans. You know we do the same thing every single day we do safe things every single day and actors don't do that actors um go to places that people don't go to places to on a day-to-day basis um so uh i, I mean I can't really remember what the question was but I just think <laughs> actors are just, uh, just phenomenal and um I found that the that that like practice over and over and over again just took it out of me in a way that wasn't really Um, healthy or like conducive of any good work. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's all about the work, right? In theatre, it's all about the stories and what you're doing and what changes you're trying to make.
1: Yeah, I gotta say, I think the casting for Anything is Possible was spot on. I really, really liked it. Mm -hmm. Well, How was the process for you to go from acting to writing and then casting more actors?
2: Mm. Um, It was like pretty... Seamless, actually. My first play, The Stolen Inches, went on in Edinburgh and um, uh, it had like two versions and um, uh, it was quite specific casting. um, And um, so that was quite hard. I met a lot of actors then, um, but we didn't have any money. So we couldn't, like, hire an audition room or anything. I just met loads of actors in pubs and, like, talked to them about the script <laughs> and didn't really see any of them act. But, like, through that process, you know, just talking to an actor and seeing how they um, talk about a script, you can kind of glean whether or not they're up for it or whether, whether they've got the um, the talent to do it. So, um, uh, yeah, and then I did a play, No Place for a Woman, which was uh, two women, and I found that really hard to cast. Yeah. Um, Uh, you know so many people are actors and um, it's uh, you know so few have like what Gemma and Hugh had I think Mm -hmm. Um, or what um, Emma and um, Ruth had in my play do you watch Bridgerton? No really? (laughs) Ruth Ruth, who plays Lady Bridgerton was it was in my play No Place for a Woman and um, uh, she's just like a phenomenal like um uh old school hard-working soul-searching actor and i you know y- you find them rarely especially in these days like i just saw on um uh the internet they're doing chicago in around england at the moment and this woman called Gemma collins has just been cast in it and you won't know who Gemma collins is but she's a reality show so it's like doing um you know, someone from Love is Blind or from Housewives of the Valley doing <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> and you just think, oh, my God, there's so many good actors out there. What's happening? So finding actors these days, you've got to really like uh, hunt. And also um, Hugh was a really old friend of mine and I've known him for years and years and years. And so it was really nice to go. Let's do this together. And I really believe in giving um actors opportunities lots of theatres will want you to go and put in a name to get sell tickets and Mm -hmm. um I just I can't unless they're perfect for the role I just can't like sacrifice the the craft for that and if Mm -hmm. the cast is really good like it was with Gemma and Hugh then you just don't need a name because it sells anyway Um, so uh I feel like every time I do a play and I cast for it I have to fight that like um Mentality that we have now in theater, which is sort of let's just sell the show rather than tell the show in the best way possible. Um but yeah, no, Hugh and Gemma are phenomenal. They are phenomenal actors.
1: Yeah, I'm for sure. Happy. And yeah. I think it's really interesting the way you actually weigh about the about the play that you created and, and how like the actors interact with the audience, or as, or at least it seems like they're interacting with the audience, and then you slowly mm. realize and um, where it actually is going that they're not really talking to you they're not really looking at you mm. Mm. Um, and they go around you from the back I don't know I think it's really yeah. interesting mm-hmm. how do you go about actually writing um those ideas that you have
2: um so I can't take credit for uh the actors running around the back that's mm-hmm. all our designer. Camilla so she she read the play and came in with a concept and and she was like everything happens in one one room so we have to make the theatre the studio a room and if we make a runway around the uh audience then it's like they're coming into the room rather than sitting in a theatre so that was that was hers but um you know in any play the the key uh, to the play being successful is um, who are the actors talking to, um, and why are they talking to that person or that animal or you know that house or whatever. Um, so it was really easy with anything's possible because they were talking to Teddy, their son. um and 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 then from that you you have a direction for your play, but you need to establish uh, right from the beginning who your actors are talking to. Um, they can't be talking to no one. No one's ever mm-hmm. talking to no one even yeah. even if you you know you read a play and it has a madman in it or a mad woman in it, they are still talking to someone. They still have a person or a thing in mind in a direction. So, um, So that's definitely one of the first things you would ever establish. And then from that decision, they're talking to Teddy or um, they're talking to their dog, you you know, you then grow the play around that idea. And, And then that's obviously when designers and directors come in with their ideas about how to build on that idea and how to make that clear to the audience.
1: Yeah. And I think even as a 20 year old, 21 year old myself, um, Living in London, no kids, and no any not any experience with what the actors were dealing with. It was still really relatable. Mm. And mm. because they speak about things that we also do, like going on the train when it's really busy. Yeah. And this is something that I will that I used to tell tell Caitlin all the time, like those. Transitions from line to line on the train, yeah. they're huge. <laughs> yeah. And you also comment about it on the play. And I think it's yeah. really interesting that you're able to um, cast this feeling for people that yeah. don't really have that experience that the mm-hmm. actors have.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Where did you live when you lived in England? Sorry? Where did you live when you lived in England? Kilburn? Right off of the Kilburn. Oh, you station. lived in Kilburn. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I used to live in Wilson Green. Oh Oh, yeah, right there. But that's quite nice. It's just the Jubilee line, so you're. That's Mm -hmm. quite easy, isn't it? And if you're in Kilburn, it's quite clear at the beginning, though.
1: Yeah, but then we had to get to Tottenham Court Road. Oh, and right in the morning. Yeah, 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 (laughs)
2: yeah. Yeah. Horrid.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I imagine the theater in London, the industry of theater in London. uh, Just FYI, I think the theater industry in London is better than the one in New York. Oh really? Uh, that is my personal opinion I don't know I enjoy more uh, the West End than Broadway
2: mm-hmm. uh, oh, okay.
1: but I still imagine okay. the theater in London and uh, being just a really complicated industry to go into because you not only have the the big West End plays but you also have a uh, up-and-coming playwrights and you have the smaller theaters or then you have I don't know I think there's a lot to see in London and uh, And I was really trying to go see everything, but there's so much. What do you think of the industry in London?
2: Yeah, I think, uh, like, you know, I have my frustrations with the industry as anyone who works in any industry has their own frustrations with it. And um, there's definitely things that I think need to change. Um, uh, But, like, if I just think back over my career, you know, I did, like... um, scratch nights in pub theatres and I didn't have to pay any money for them and loads of people came to see them and I could put like a reading on and it would kind of like not cost me that much money and I could get actors for free and so that kind of like uh level is amazing for developing playwrights um and and the amount of creativity and the amount of people that are willing to to do that kind of work is um you know really exciting and and uh you know my career uh is mainly down to the actors that have given their time and the directors that have given their time to like work on first drafts second drafts third drafts of plays for like zero money for us do you know what i mean like it's um you collaborate a lot that level is 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 brilliant and buzzing um it's then when you start to want to establish yourself and you start to want to like um get Audiences in and and and, uh, uh and be taken seriously as a playwright that you you start to realize like how the industry runs how much money you need how little money there is uh all the other aspects you know it's a business you need marketing you need a pr plan you need um insurance um and you need uh someone to produce all that and then you need to finance that whole thing um And I feel like there's so much money. I don't know if you guys feel like this, uh, but there's so much money in the West End, like so much money and bigger um, Arts Council supported theatres that it would be wonderful if that money could trickle down into the fringe and to the developing playwrights and actors and directors so that they have more opportunities and they don't have to scrimp and save. And then eventually perhaps, you know, make decisions that they can't financially support that lifestyle anymore so i think there is huge buzz and huge potential in um london and the off west end is is an incredibly exciting place to be but then there's this big gap of people who just fall through the cracks and don't make it into the west end and that's because there's just not the money there and and I I feel like there could be a really lovely I you know relationship between the big theaters and the smaller theaters that that encourage the work and the stories, um, but it sadly it doesn't exist. I have no idea how you would make it exist. So huge potential sometimes gets lost. Um, I feel in London, and uh, um, but the the things that I see and um some of the shows that i've seen and and people that i've met in are incredible and i i really missed the industry during the pandemic um and um missed like the shows the people and um, and how that like inspires the creative um yeah
1: yeah i definitely think i agree with you there is just mm-hmm. um, so much money when you go see these big plays yeah. that i love like i don't have anything against them but i do have to agree that there should be some kind of project happening to actually yeah. try to distribute this money better
2: mm-hmm. you know like they had uh cabaret on with eddie Redmayne in in the west end and tickets to see that were 250 quid yeah yeah <laughs> like,
1: i tried it to they win the go lottery the
2: that's, that's 500 quid mm-hmm. for a night in the theater and at the same time, you know, people are saying that theater is for all, and all people need to see theater, mm-hmm. but they're just cutting off a whole a whole society essentially. Um, the only people that could see that were like people like my parents who are retired and 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 um you know have pensions, people my age maybe but not young artists um and that's mad. It's mad that that like how much money would they have made in one night?
1: Yeah, I think um, I sadly have I, I we sadly experienced that as well. Like we try to mm-hmm. go to um, all the plays that were going around, but some of them were really expensive. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. some of the ones that I enjoyed the most were like five pounds per ticket.
2: Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I went to see uh to kill a mockingbird last week. Um and um it was like 60, 70 quid for the ticket. Mm-hmm. And you know. It's written by aaron sorkin and it's an amazing amazing story and it's an amazing play and um and like you can't not be moved by it but i was also a bit like why am i watching this again and for so much money like how many times have we <laughs> I, this story like why isn't why isn't there a fresh new young voice on stage telling this story or telling a story like this um and why am i paying so much money for it again to be told about it again um and there's just huge opportunity there to, 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 to zhuzh up the industry, especially, you know, the world at the moment is so um, you know, pandemic. Uh, we have a cost of living crisis in England at the moment, the, the situation in Ukraine, like like humans uh are, I, I imagine, are craving uh relief or connection or stories or something to take them out of this world and so what an opportunity to invite young artists or new stories um instead of just churning out the same old stuff because then we don't get that good inspiring like theatrical creative food do we we just become I'm slightly stagnant as people when we just see the same thing over and over and over again definitely
1: and I think uh, that segues really nicely into the next part and so two things first of where do you think the industry in London is going to go with theater and given all of this high prices and people trying to come back from the pandemic and trying to go see plays again and also what is the process for someone that wants to put their work out there
2: um, so, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's the truth, really. I, I, I really want to be really positive about it. Um, but I do find it quite hard because, <laughs> um, well, because of what I just said about To Kill a Mockingbird and, um, uh, and, you know, the, the cost of the tickets to see cabarets, um, like how unhelpful (laughs) like uh so I worry that because of the cuts made because of the pandemic because of the panic that producers will be in that we may just see like uh the same stuff over and over and over again and the same people making the same things you know Andrew Lloyd Webber is just always in the West End and he's never not got a new play we have a writer over here called David Hare who um, has always got a new play on and he's you know a 60 50 year old man like you know um, in the same theatres uh, we have the same people making the same work with the same teams over and over and over and over again and you look at people like Hugh and Gemma phenomenal actors um and we're not seeing them on the screens we're not seeing them in the west end um because they're not the same people that people are used to I think um uh so I worry that uh because of everything that's happening in the world that theatre will be become smaller and smaller and smaller um, and so the fight and um, will be harder for for people that want it as a career um uh and that's not not to, not to say that people fall through the, the cracks but um it's like you know after anything is possible everyone was like you must be so happy you must be so pleased this is amazing and and I was like, this is amazing, but this isn't it. This is just the beginning of something else that I'm gonna go on to do. This isn't, this isn't like my completed journey. This is like, we've got so many more like things to like <laughs> battle through in the theater industry to get like stories that I tell to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so sorry, not really a very positive um, response. And then I can't remember the second half of the question.
1: Well, what the process is for someone that wants to put their work out there.
2: Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, you you write, write a script, get a first draft or even just like 20 minutes. And then this is only based on what I did in London. Mm -hmm. Um, Then you, I would look up scratch nights with theater companies, um, which is like short pieces of theater in one evening, Um, invite people to come and see that, see if you get a positive response and then develop the idea. I would then uh, um, workshop that idea um, with actors and a director, get the script into a really good place, do a read through, get, re- get people to come and watch the reading. You can hire a theater for one day um, and invite an audience to come and watch it. Um, and basically, it would balance itself out with ticket sales. So it wouldn't cost you that much. Um, And within that you would invite industry people um, and then see if that strikes up any conversations. And then at the same time, just send it out to as many theaters as possible. And if you really believe in the play and you believe in the idea, um, you just keep banging on doors. The most uh, like thing I find the most useful about developing a play is is getting people to read it and, and hearing what people say. And um, it's really hard. I've just written a new draft and the directors like send me the script and I'm like, no, I'm not (laughs) sending it to you because it's a mess and um, it's quite like uh, um, a vulnerable piece and I'm not sending it to you because you're going to think it's awful, but you Mm -hmm. actually like what what it needs is to be sent to someone and someone needs to tell me what's singing and what's not. Um, So that would be that would be my piece of advice but I, I suppose at the heart of that is just to write something if that's what you want to do to write a play is to write something that you that you believe in that you fall in love with that that is urgent and that is a story that you love don't ever try and write something to fit in with society or to fit in with the news mm-hmm. um um right from the heart you know much like acting writing is is a piece of that writer um and so if you don't write from something that comes within you you're, you're lying to yourself and so the words of the actors will will never be truthful and they'll never really exist in a in a truthful space so before you do all of that legwork find a story that that you love and read about it and try and connect to it and and think about it all the time lots of you know writing plays is just thinking and reading and it, it looks like you're not doing any work but you're doing loads of work because it's just mm-hmm. it's just constant
1: just so you know after this question after this next question we're gonna end the meeting and then we're gonna join back up
0: okay okay cool I wanted to add something on that um that reminds me a lot of kind of what I've heard about trying to get your film noticed in the film mm. industry mm. um but it's to me it sounds like there's so much more depth when you have like a play versus a screenplay because I feel like a lot of times the screenplay is more like you can just sort of get one out really quickly especially considering how short they are maybe only like an yeah. hour an hour and a half um and it's all about like kind of what's going to make the most money I feel like that's mm-hmm. what a lot of films seem like is like they're just having all these like action sequences or all of these like yeah grand dramatic moments that don't really have all this like depth to them but it seems like mm-hmm. with play and playwriting, there's so much more depth that you can take with writing the story and understanding and researching it that I feel like yeah. I don't really see a lot in films that's so very interesting
2: yeah I think I think that there are those films out there I think um I'm, I'm trying to think what what won the Oscars and uh, or what got nominated. And mm. um uh did you see Lost Daughter? I did not, I
0: do want to see like, it though, yeah.
2: No, you should so that is you know, it's a really long film. Um, but it, it's long because of what you're talking about, because they mm. they kind of like get into the skin of, of the characters, and um, but you, you I I think you're so right. Lots of screenwriting books that I read, and lots of people that like zip out of screen. Uh, a screenplay for certain producers the producers are like so when's the fight scene (laughs) Mm -hmm. when are their magical powers coming out and so lots of it's geared to that but you know Marvel how much money does Marvel make it makes like you know so I think you can I think it's a really good skill to have Um, and I I wish I was better at at writing a screenplay like that I wish I could do Mm -hmm. that to just go like uh, what are my plot points what do I need to give to give the audience, they want to fight. They probably want a um, a transformation, and they probably want an argument and a love story. You know, I wish that I could just do that really, really quickly because then I'd make loads of cash, right? But um, uh, it, it is um, it's definitely a skill. It's definitely a very, very good honed skill. Um, and I do actually think that that alongside those, I do run some really like incredible low key independent films um that do exactly what you just said with theater um with scripts um they bring in that that thing that we love in theater I guess it's the intimacy um yeah. um that uh yeah you don't really get from you know Captain America or Spider-Man
1: something that I've noticed in your work uh, is that you tend to write about what people deal with and uh, in their life and um, do you feel like you tend to write about what people suffer from or what they have to like go through in hardships in their life
2: yeah I think you're right I think um I, I think I I'm really fascinated with um I've had a really easy lovely life you <laughs> know like I have a gorgeous husband I've got a gorgeous daughter I had a I had a really amazing childhood and um I guess i'm fascinated with how people who suffer huge trauma um exist uh with that trauma um you know how uh how you how you would like ever go to the supermarket again if you lost your child you know um how could you do that (laughs) because it's such a normal thing and the most Abnormal things happen to you, and I, I'm really interested in how those two things run alongside each other. Um, how we carry tragedy, um, uh, probably because I've I've never suffered it. So um, I think um, uh, that fascinates me because humans are so credibly, incredibly, incredibly um, strong. Uh, I don't think we we talk about that enough, um, especially these days, because we're just like like bamboozled with just news that's awful all the mm-hmm. time so mm-hmm. like us three right now we, we're like living in a world with just horrific things happening all the time and I guess we are still going to the shops or going for a pint or or seeing family but with that stuff and it's, it's on us somewhere so I am fascinated with how our mind figures all that out mm-hmm. um yeah
1: yeah, I feel like there's this expectation from society to just deal with it and move on. And yeah. Your place yeah. really touches into like the fact that sometimes we cannot just move on and it's really difficult to just perform in life after something traumatic yeah. happens. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then and then when when you when you like do feel ready to move on ever so slightly, how that happens and what you need to do to get to that place. Um and what you need to do to get to that place could be incredibly ugly and horrid and scare other humans. But why is that a bad thing if it's healing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we Like everything scabs over, right? You get you cut, It gets a scab, it gets horrid, it gets disgusting and then it heals. Um, but we don't really like uh, do that to our minds. We don't do that to ourselves.
1: Yeah, sometimes we just don't let it heal fully.
2: Mm-hmm. And well, we no,
1: keep you on on this crap.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly
1: so going on to the next part of the interview where do you hope to see your career go from now on
2: uh i hope um to uh, i'd love to write tv and film um and i'd like to but i i'd like to just keep regularly writing for um for, for theater and um and work with as many people as possible um and try and write stories that, uh, that, like, help us kind of get to know ourselves a bit better. Um, I'd love to just be able to do it nonstop for a living and not have to. I teach on the other side um, when I'm not writing, so I'd love to be able to not teach and just write and, and pay my mortgage. <laughs> well, I love <laughs> that. that. Obviously, we love film. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we love making film, So I think it's really interesting that you're going on that route now. Because uh, just when I, when I was going to the plays uh, Every single play I always just think of like How could I make this into a film? And yeah, I think it's oh that well. mindset that uh, we yeah. have now That it's like I want to see this over and over and over Because it's so interesting yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah That's what's great about film, hey Is that you um My husband never likes watching anything twice So if he's seen a film He'll not watch it again He'll just like no oh, I've watched it but I what what's so magical about film is that you just watch it over and over and over again and every time you watch it you like you see something um like I watched mad Men for the second time uh and it was just so much better it was so much better than when I first ever watched it because I was mm-hmm. like 10 years older um and the world like how we shifted like with me too and and workspace protection and everything and so then watching Mad men again it was like so so much more powerful and you don't get that in the theater unless you go again and again and again which isn't as easy and so i just can't understand my husband's like thinking behind it <laughs> i'm like it's a treat it's such a treat um uh yeah yeah but uh, you know it's so interesting that you say you see things in films i i find it very hard to see like things in films. I can only see it in like one place. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, people are always like, you know, you need to, like, if I hand a screenplay to my agent, they're like, you need to put other locations in. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) yeah, you can do that. You can do that in film. You can move like around the world. Now that you mention
1: it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: Wow. (laughs) Um, So it's like, I think it's very much like you're either bred from the screen or you're bred from the theatre. And then mm-hmm. that kind of like crossover is is quite hard to to do to do because um, it's a, a brand new skill. I suppose. Definitely, but like I the think... essence of it is the same, but the mm-hmm. skill is. I think screenwriters, successful screenwriters, are very, they're like engineers. Um, I think <laughs> when they like smash a script. Yeah,
1: I mean, I've been doing um, screenwriting for short films, like really short films. Uh, for a while now we had to do a, a playri- playwright course uh, mm. last semester and it is really difficult to transition like okay I see everything in film but that transition yeah. of actually putting it into paper is so difficult because okay then I go from I have unlimited uses of um, uh, locations unlimited yeah. uses of cuts yeah but now I don't have that I now yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I have to think that I'm actually making this happen live and how can I actually make that possible?
2: Mm -hmm. And how do you verbalize it? Because it's going to be through speech, right? It's going to be through someone uh saying
1: it.
2: So what is that feeling that you're portraying in that specific location with that specific shot? What is that feeling verbally?
1: For sure. It's hard.
2: It's hard. Do
1: you think you want to bring anything as possible into the film industry or do you want want to be suited?
2: No i I think it'd be an amazing film. I think it would be um uh, a really great like a great film because because what film does it will do like a close up on someone and um and a, you know we can we can like see the inner workings of those characters' minds that you 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 don't get on stage um so would I'd, I'd love to definitely
1: yeah, I think I agree because anyway, <laughs> yeah. when I was watching, I was like, this is an amazing play. And again, I want to see it over and over and over.
2: Yeah, um, yeah.
1: And again, I was thinking, like, how it we'll would look as a film. And the possibilities are endless.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you seen What Did I Watch Recently? Have you seen Like Crazy? It's a really old film from when I was... It's got, like, Felicity Jones in it when she was about 18. Um, but it's um, it's just two young mm. uh, 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 kids who fall in love and... One lives in America and one lives in England. And, like, basically, just how they have a relationship like that. But it's literally just two people and then just like other characters that just support that story. Mm -hmm. Um, So, that's kind of what I imagine where anything is possible. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, And I think it's something that is not really seen out there much. Uh, Just the interaction between these two people. Yeah. um, Like, film always wants to bring the amazing factor quote-unquote, of, like, we have a thousand extras and we just have big crowds and stuff like that. But I feel like that uh, one-on-one relationship uh, will be really interesting and it's not something that we see a lot.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Also, um, so what is the function of Small Things Theatre? I see uh, you co-founding this.
2: So uh, we set it up because um, we just wanted to put on work and and we were like um, it's the only way it's the only way we can put our work if we have a production company that that supports the work um and um so we set it up when I first did stolen inches in edinburgh but then from from uh, that we then did a night of small things which is um a scratch night that i was talking to you about where we'd get like comedians and singers and poets and writers to to sort of do a, an evening of of work and And from that, we'd earn money, and then that money would go in the bank, and then it would support developments of new plays um, that um, we picked up. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 been like like every time I do a play, I'm like, um, I'm never gonna do it again. So stressful. This is it. Everyone will hate (laughs) it. I'm a fraud. (laughs) Like I'm done. (laughs) I'm gonna go into advertising or something. Uh, Peace out. Uh, and then it's like really successful and so I'm like oh shit okay and I love it and uh like the rehearsal room's buzzing and and Mm -hmm. it's like you know brilliant and I'm like oh okay let's go again so Small Things Theatre is like kept that going and, and keeps us connected to um to the industry um but um yeah, but it's like a, it's a full-time job. So it's not like a, we have like theater, really successful theatre companies like Headlong and Out of Joint in England. I don't know if you saw them when you were over, but they're like, a, and Payne's Plough, they're like businesses and they're like fully funded and they're doing amazing stuff. I wouldn't say that we are there. We are literally just there to facilitate keeping our toes in the industry. Hey, but it, Pixar's that's, that's, in a garage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's where you would start. That's where you would start to, um, if you wanted your work to get on, I think, to, mm-hmm. to just produce it yourself and set up your own company.
1: And sorry, where did you, when did you found uh, co-found this company?
2: Uh, so that was when we went to Edinburgh, which would have been 2015.
1: Wow. That's about the time that I moved to the US, actually.
2: <laughs> oh, really? Yeah,
1: okay. I moved at the end of 2016, yeah.
2: Okay, okay
1: how has covid affected you personally as a playwright and, and also just the company in general
2: uh well covid you know stopped theatre for like two years and um and i had a baby and while while covid was happening so that was like another lockdown having a baby but um uh i think it's uh, i you know the great thing about life is uh experiencing it. And the great thing about writing and acting and directing or anything creative is, is that you are using life to create your work. So when life stops, and when you don't communicate with people, and you don't see anything, and you're stuck, I I, I felt personally that like inspiration and creativity just sort of stagnated. Because, you know, I used to get on the tube seven days a week, and that's just like full of stories, the tube, you know, you know, you get on at Kilburn, how many different people do you see? Um, mm-hmm. and, um, and I used to go to like various different coffee shops. I used to go to the theater three times a week. I used to see people and that, and you know, that's all completely shifted. So um, uh, you are less in life, I guess. So it's hard, I found it harder to to draw inspiration and to feel connected to two people, and so therefore harder to um, uh, get stories out. Mm-hmm. Like anything is possible, kind of just whizzed out of me. But the current play I'm writing is like getting blood from a stone at the moment, and I and I think it's because of um, uh, like life having changed so fundamentally. Um, everything's online, and mm-hmm. and every you know we don't go out as much. But part of that's having a eighteen month old baby.
1: Oh yeah, um,
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so that yeah, I I definitely feel like um, I, I have not I I lost a year of inspiration, let's say, and so it's trying to delve back into that.
1: Yeah, I feel like I can definitely relate to that because going into film school. And it's been really excited about making film and making things yeah. with your hands.
2: Yeah. And yeah. then not
1: making a film for two years.
2: Yeah. It's just like that's a really big tough. stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys had it, you know, so did you do lots of stuff on Zoom? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean, how uninspiring is Zoom? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's so hard to, uh, it's great for stuff like this, but to like, you know, I've got friends who do writer's room whole writers rooms on zooms and and Mm. like they're like writing tv shows on a zoom and it's like you know you, you need to like be able to vibe off like the other people and stuff i don't know how you guys did it i think um i'm about to work with a bunch of actors who are in their third year at drama school and so they're like two years of drama school with just covid and i just don't know how they did like movement classes on Zoom. It's, it's just not the same. It's just, no, it's not, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, but what will be really interesting is as you guys like emerge from like film school, how your experience will like be, be different to everyone else's experience and how that will mm-hmm. show through the work that you produce and the work that you create. So, mm-hmm. I, and, and I would say that's something really exciting and quite quite um, nice to hold on to. So, it, it shouldn't be something that burdens you. It should be something that like goes, okay, this is our story. So this is we're the we're going to be the only like years that make stories like this because mm-hmm. of how you were fed and taught, um, which is really exciting. Like the next load of artists and work that comes out, it, it's going to be exciting to see how it's different. <laughs> definitely,
1: definitely. Because as unexp- uninspiring as it is, it also Gave you the task to actually make something happen when you yeah. have nothing uh, um with you to actually make those things happen like yeah how to make a film with your phone or how to make a film with no lighting uh, and yeah. those are the kind of things that um uh, challenge you a little bit more and perhaps that's what's gonna help us um
2: uh, yeah definitely. move on from here mm-hmm. definitely
1: now with your play anything is possible how do you go about writing that. But what what was the process of you having this um, idea, and then just actually yeah. putting it into paper?
2: Uh, well, I guess it goes back to what I was talking about earlier. Is is you have to find out, you have to find out who you're talking to, and then you have to find out why you're talking to them, and then you have to find out what your characters want, um, and then when you when you know all that information, that's when characters dialogue. Um, at, start to emerge so um, I've only ever written a play like just straight through just with dialogue I've never written like um, the plan first but I'm currently writing a play with five characters and so I've had to um, structure it and you know use like diagrams and use like uh, revision cards to, to see it because you've got five different worlds and five different brains and and everything affects it. But um but the first thing you have to figure out is what are you trying to say? Um and why are you trying to say it? And and when you're really in touch with that, that's when that's when a play would will will emerge. And, and for me, that emerges through dialogue. Um but for other playwrights or screenwriters, it it emerges in different ways. Maybe just like one long monologue, or maybe like a lovely treatment, or maybe like a like a Loads and loads of pictures, Um, uh, but with anything as possible, it was just it was just duologues with just um, Rupert and Alex, and I just wrote loads and loads and loads of duologues, not necessarily to do with stillbirth, but just to do with them, and just found out who they were um, through those duologues, and then I started to incorporate um, stillbirth into not into necessarily like their literal words, but into how that would affect them as characters, and so therefore, what will they be saying? Mm-hmm. um around around that tragedy.
1: Um what were some of yeah. the challenges that you encountered in either when writing or when actually making it happen into theater?
2: Um uh well like Nino you know, the biggest the biggest uh like uh, difficulty was COVID
1: mm-hmm. and
2: um uh we were in first week of rehearsals and then the world went into lockdown and then we had to wait like nearly two years to put it on again and then when we and then when we put it on again we had two weeks rehearsal um and we just smashed it and and like it was a pretty smooth um journey from like rehearsal to to putting a show on in previews um i think a major challenge that i had personally was going back to a play about the death of a baby when I had a baby um, and trying to connect with that idea, Um, knowing what it is um, that Alex had lost. I don't think I could have written that play now that I've got a baby daughter. I think I had to have not had a baby (laughs) to like go there. Um, So definitely going back to it after having Delilah and looking at Alex as a character and and looking at her monologues and looking at what she was saying, I found very hard to connect to. Um, but like, I guess the biggest, the biggest problem was just trying to get it on a theatre and trying to pitch the idea to, to theatres, like to say, I've got a play about Stillbirth, do you want it? And most of them said no. <laughs> um, because you, well, who wants to see that? But then trying to convince them that it wasn't really about Stillbirth, what it was about mm-hmm. was this couple who are in love, and it was about hope. But like trying to like, do that and get, get in that room for that long it's really hard. So we trilled around loads of theatres um, trying to get it on.
1: Yeah, sometimes it's really difficult to bring ideas forward uh, when there are topics that people just don't want to talk about or they do want to talk about, but they find it so hard to actually mm-hmm. go into that place and feel bu- vulnerable while talking about it. And it makes you vulnerable watching this play as well. Yeah, uh, but no it's matter not, the you know, like,
2: we, but we love it. Like we love it. We watch, yeah. you know, like, yeah. don't we? We're like, we like Will Smith just punched someone and we're addicted to that news and it's like it's, <laughs> it's awful what he did and we're all just like oh my god I want to watch it again I want to talk about it mm-hmm. so we're fascinated with pain and we're fascinated with people being in pain and then showing that pain so I never understand when theatres go no it's too much because mm-hmm. I'm like but we all the best stories and all the best plays and all the best films are too much really yeah um you know to kill a mockingbird it's it's like an old story but it's fundamentally about racism and um we can't not put that show on because it's about racism because it you know and we have to watch it so i never understood the whole stillbirth is too much i was like it's perfect
1: mm-hmm. it's
2: vital it it's why we do what we do
1: I think that's the beauty of this uh, play because it brings you to a place of vulnerability that you usually don't go to and Mm. it actually feels really great being in that space and just, like, see within yourself how you're feeling and and just allowing yourself to experience these things that you wouldn't normally feel. One thing that I see uh, when looking at your play is that at the beginning you have a couple of stories uh, from people as well as some information from, like, um companies that help uh, stillbirth mm. and stuff like mm. that. What was your experience collecting these stories?
2: Yeah, yeah it was really, uh, I felt like incredibly privileged. Um, these people like allowed us into their home and, and we made a film and we filmed and interviewed couples who'd lost babies and talked about their children and, and it was like, um, I mean, a lot of the time I was just thinking, you don't know me, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you don't even got a clue who I am. You're just telling me these incredible and moving stories. Um, uh, but then I, I uh, the key to it was that all these parents who'd lost their baby at birth wanted to tell the story and and and, and needed to tell the story. And just like I tell my story of having, being in neighbour with Delilah um, they wanted to tell their story of their baby. And just because their baby had died didn't mean they shouldn't tell the story anymore. So um, I I really wanted to honour that, which is then why we decided to publish them in the play, rather than just have these interviews. It was like, we need to carry, carry these sto- stories forward. Um, but yeah, no, incredibly privileged, um, because as I said, I didn't know these people. We were strangers. And to hear... Um, what they had to say about their babies is, was um incredibly powerful and, and moving
1: i think that's beautiful work what you did and i congratulate you for actually like going through this process and making this happen because again it's something really difficult not only yeah. being a playwright but also being um a playwright in this specific topic and just yeah. hard topics and um, that bring people to tears sometimes mm-hmm. um, mm. So thank you so much for that as well.
2: No, thank you. Thank you for saying that.
1: Is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know about your work uh, or anything?
2: No, and I'm no, I'm currently just writing something at the moment, and um, I, I have no other like news or anything, <laughs> anything to sell. I suppose I, I suppose your listeners are all in the theatre, I guess. So I would I would encourage them to, or you know, to keep working and uh, to stay in the industry as long as possible and, um, and to write when they want to write and do what they have to do, I guess. Um, a very uninspiring note to end on, I suppose, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I have nothing else to add that, I, that is going on in my life.
1: Awesome. So once you're a little bit more into film, I would love to have you back okay, and just yeah, chat a little okay. bit about filmmaking.
2: <laughs> Great. Definitely. I probably Good could learn a lot from you two, I'm sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, let's make that happen then.
2: <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> okay.
1: Where can people follow you?
2: Uh, I'm on, um, oh gosh, I'm on um, Instagram and uh, I'm on Twitter. It's probably best, which is just Cordelia O'Neill and Twitter.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it.
2: Yes. No, thank you you very much for having me. It's so nice to see you both.
1: Thank (laughs) you. It's really nice to see you too. Hope to chat again soon.
2: Yeah. Take care. Have a good day.
1: Alright y'all and that was Cordelia. It was great having her today in the podcast with us. And it was great having you guys listening to us today. And I hope to see you next week.
0: Yes, stay tuned for all new episodes. We're working on some really great segments that we hope you guys will love. Make sure to follow us on Instagram. My Instagram is Kate Johnston six two two,
1: and you can follow me as S E B A S A L E P. That's Sebas Alep on Instagram, and you can follow the podcast at Ant Cut the Podcast altogether. Ant Cut the Podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today, and we'll see you next week.
0: See ya, bye.
1: And cut. cut!